Some time ago, I received a piece of mail that really got my attention. It was in bold red and bold blue coloring. It's one of those things you knew you just had to look at it because it cost your attention. And when I opened it, the first thing that caught my attention were these words. It says, if you've ever secretly felt fat, skinny, lazy, compulsive, or depressed, this letter is for you. I wondered who of my friends gave them my address. But let me tell you what else. As I opened it up and began to look at it, here's what it said. Your life can be changed. Now get this. For only $29.95. That's exactly what it said. That piece of mail said. When I see that, I wonder who buys this stuff. And then I hadn't walked very far from my mailbox till I realized all of us buy this stuff. All of us do. We're looking for answers. We want something that will change our life. And anything that will change our life, we're willing to pay the price for it. We're willing to pay the price for it. In our nation alone, according to Google, every year there's between 600,000 and a million self-help books printed in this nation alone. We want the help. We need the help. I hope you'll take your Bibles with me. Turn with me to Romans, the seventh chapter. I'm going to read some passages from that. And I hope you'll use your outline today. I've been praying for God to just touch our hearts today, break our wills, and bring us to him. Romans, the seventh chapter, I'll begin reading in the 15th verse. And I want to ask you to stand in honor of God's word, if you would, not for me, but for him who gave us his word. Beginning in verse 15 of that chapter. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Boy, can you identify with that? 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. And then verse 18, skipping over 17 to verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I do not have the ability to carry it out. He could have been looking over my shoulder when he wrote that. That's exactly where we are. This morning, before we pray, what is it in your life, what is it in my life that's out of control? Totally out of control. You hate it, but you keep doing it. You don't have the power to stop, it seems like. You cannot control it. Is it fear? Is it worry or stress about the future? What is it? 
Is it spending that you can't control? Is it eating? Is it my moods? Is it my addictions? My procrastination? My desires? My anger? One of these days I'm going to. I'm going to change. I'm going to start. I'm going to quit doing that. If that's where you are this morning, I believe God has a word for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, living in a world, a world system where we are encouraged to live a life for our own glory, I pray that Crossroads and I pray that Kent Workman will fix our eyes on Jesus and follow your example of selfless obedience to the Father's will. Oh, God, I pray that for us. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to talk about the problem First of all, on your outline that we're looking at, why can't I change? And I want us to see the problem. Again, in Romans 7, verses 15, God's Word says, For I do not understand my own action, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. The very thing I hate. As we look at the problem, we can identify with this. There was a man up in his middle ages. Well, maybe not quite middle. He was in his early 40s. And this man came to Christ and received Christ as his Lord and Savior on fire for God. Really loved him. And some months later, he came back to his pastor. And I thought it was interesting what he told his pastor He said, I feel like there are two forces on the inside of me pulling in opposite directions. I thought that's a tremendous illustration of what happens to a child of God, what happens to all of us, even we may not be his his child. We may have never been born again. There's a civil war going on inside of us. Part of us wants to do what right, but there's another part that doesn't want to do that at all. And the Bible tells us it's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You never know who's going to show up next or what is going to happen next. And we wrestle with that all of our life, it seems like. Mark chapter 14, verse 38 says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
My goodness, what a description. Have you ever been there? Have you ever broken an old habit to start it again? Only in a few weeks you see and you know that it's back seemingly with more force than ever before. Have you ever made a New Year's resolution that you kept through the end of February? We don't do that, do we? Resolutions don't work. Good intentions are seldom good enough. We never get to that place where it fixes all of our problems. I promise I'm not going to do this anymore. This is the last time I'm going to start or I'm going to start this today. And I'm not going to do that again. But it happens. And its results are predictable. Write these down by your bullet there under number one. There are three of these results. The first is confusion. Confusion. The Phillips translation of Romans 7.15 says it this way. My own behavior baffles me. I look at myself and I think, why are you doing this? Why is this happening on the inside of you? Why are you doing this? Why do I keep making these mistakes? Why am I so resistant to changing when I know that I need to and that it's better? Why can't I figure out why I do what I do and I really don't want to do it? Why can't I stop that? Why do I act in ways that are destructive? Why do I do those things that bring guilt to me? Emotional pain to me because I know it's not the right thing. Why do I keep living that way? There's confusion. But let me give you the second thing that will surely happen. Frustrations. Chapter 7, verse 18, the second part of it. For even though the desire to do good is in me, I'm not able to do it. Hear what he's saying? I have the will, but I don't have the power. I have the desire to, do, to not do this or to do this, but it doesn't work. It's not powerful enough. It's not changing my life. That's what self-help books will tell you. They can tell you what's wrong, but they can't give you the power to change it. You know, they say a lot of things like, you know, you need to give up your bad habits. Big thing. I knew that to start with. You need to do this. You need to do that. I can't do it. And just because you're telling me in the book that it can to be done, that doesn't make it happen. I don't have the power to make it happen. Yes, I know I need to relax. I know I need to back off. I know I need to resolve this or resolve that. But I can't do it. The book doesn't tell me. Those books don't tell me how I can do that. I have the desire and the determination, but I don't have the power to do that. So I'm confused. I am frustrated. You know, I feel like a gerbil running on the wheel, going, 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 100 miles an hour, but getting nowhere. Staying stationary. I keep falling and I keep getting up. I keep falling and I keep getting up. I keep saying I'm sorry. I wished I wouldn't do this. And I make myself promises. I make God these promises. And I don't fulfill them. I seem to not have the power. And when you get to that, the next one is inevitable. Write this by your last bullet there. I feel defeat and discouragement. Why keep doing it? It's not changing. 
after all these years, is not changing at all. Paul said in Romans 7 verse 24 in the Phillips translation, he said, it is an agonizing situation. And who on earth can set me free from the clutches of my own sinful nature? I just admit I can't do it. Why even try anymore? I keep aiming for the stars and I'm falling flat on my face. I'm getting nowhere, it seems like. I'm enslaved. I'm defeated. My life is a mess. I've just lost it. I can't bring it back to where I'd like for it to be. You've been there? Boy, if you're a human being, you have. I'm tired of trying. If you're there and you're willing to admit it, I've got good news for you today. I've got good news for you. We've seen the problem. Secondly, I want you to see God's promise. God's promise. John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, now listen carefully. If you abide, let me get back to my passage of scripture. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Notice the secret to personal change. I want you to see it, just as plain as everything right here. It's not willpower. It's not pill power. It's none of those things that we try to do. It's not resolutions. It's not trying harder. Jesus said, the hurt and the hang-up And the problems that I deal with, the failures in my life, is because I'm broken because I do not know the truth. I do not know the truth. It's the truth that makes the difference. Not willpower, no resolutions, just knowing the truth. Knowing the truth. How in the world can knowing the truth set you free? How in the world can knowing the truth make all these things in my life and in your life that I do not have control over and you do not have control over to be able to be put under control? How in the world can that happen? Well, listen carefully. You might want to write this down. It's not on your outline, but I want you to see it and hear it again. The way you think determines how you feel. The way you think determines how you feel. And the way you feel determines how you behave. The way you feel determines how you behave. So there it is. Let me say it again to you. The way you think determines how you feel. And the way you feel determines how you act. It's what he's telling us. It's what it's all it's all about. Most of us, what we do when there's something out of control in our life, we go out here and we try to work on the, the fruit of it instead of the root. We go out here and we say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to quit that. I'm not going to have those desires anymore. I know they're wrong. I'm not going to let this thing take over my life. I'm not going to do that. But God's word tells us you have to get back to the root. If you want to take care of what's wrong in your life, you have to go back to the very root of it. And that's what makes the difference. It's not willpower. 
It's not anything I can do, but it's knowing the truth. We try to change the exterior. God says it's the interior that has to be changed. God's Word says we must go all the way back to the way we think. Don't work out there on the fruit. Work on the root. Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart, your heart, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions, suke in the Greek, but let your heart keep my commandments. If I want to change the things that are out of control in my life, then I want you to know I've got to change the way I think and what I believe. That's what has to happen. Proverbs 23, verse 7, God's word says, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. When the truth is in my mind, when it's in my heart, when it's in my life, then I begin to, be, to behave as I think and as I know. Behind every self-defeating problem in your life and my life is that I am accepting something that isn't true. I'm accepting something that isn't true about me. I'm accepting something that isn't true about God. I'm accepting and living something about others that isn't true. And God says the truth will set you free. It will set me free. That's what happens. It'll set us free. Well, let's talk about that. We've talked about the problem, the first one. The second one, we've talked about the promise. I want you now to see the prescription. I want you to know what works. And there's three things that I want us to look at in this. And this is the meat of all of this. The first one, we talked about this even last Sunday some, but we're going to talk about it some more. Acknowledge the root of my problem. That's the starting point to breaking free. Being changed, being delivered, just acknowledge, here's the problem. You know, we have trouble doing that. I want change in my life, and I want this to change in my life, but we have to first acknowledge what the problem is. And most of the time, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that at all. God says we have to get to the root of the problem and acknowledge what it is. Now, most of us in this room especially if you are not a follower of Christ, we really don't know exactly what the problem is when it comes to these things that are not under control in our life, that are out of control. We don't know what they are. We talk about a lot of things. You know, sometimes we think, well, uh, I'm just lazy mentally. Or I got some ADD. I can't focus on things real well. I have weak willpower. I've always been that way, Kent. I can't do this. I I, I know some things are wrong, and I start out to do that, but I just don't have the energy to do that. I can't get it done. I'm really not sure what the problem is. Well, I want to tell you something. God puts his finger right on the problem, as God always does. And I want you to listen to what he says, that this is the problem. He says, regardless of what's out of control in your life and out of control in my life, There is a basic attitude, a basic attitude in my life. And there's a word that describes it. It's not a popular word. It's not politically correct to even use this word anymore. But it's what lies behind 
all of these things that are out of control and I have no power over. Let me tell you what that word is. You ready? It's the word sin. Sin. Ken, you're kidding. No, that's the problem. That's the problem. What is sin? Most of us in this room, if I ask you what sin is, you'd start giving me a litany of a lot of things, but you'd be wrong. You would be wrong. Let me tell you what sin is. It's not getting, st- it's not getting stoned on coke or meth. It's not stealing. It's not lying. It's not sleeping around with somebody that you're not married to. That's not sin. That's the evidence of sin. That's the evidence of sin. That's the evidence of it, but it's the root of the problem that we need to get to. It's what God is telling us. And it's man's oldest problem. 1 John 1 verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And I might add, only ourselves. We're not deceiving anybody else. And the truth is not in us. It's a sin to say I have no sin. Do you know that? It's a sin to say I have no sin. God is saying that we make things worse when we deceive ourselves and we pretend that's not the problem. And that's what most of us do. We excuse ourselves. We talk about 500 other people who did this thing and it must be all right if that many people is doing it. Or we say, you know, what difference does this make? And we have some kind of reason to verify and to make ourselves feel better about what we're doing. But we don't, feel God. we don't fool God. He knows exactly what the problem is. Listen, you're not going to get it all together and under control without God. Trying to live without God is what brings all these problems. Sin is saying, I don't need God. I can do it all by myself. I don't need God. And we refuse to stop to realize the truth and to face it and to be able to acknowledge it. We do that. Actually, we make it worse when we deny that's the problem. It just gets worse all the time. But we don't fool God. We don't have it all together. And listen, until you and I stop deceiving ourselves, we're not going to get well. We're not going to have things under control as God intends for them to be. All those habits, all those self-defeating events in your life, if I'm ever going to be set free from these, all these hang-ups, if I'm ever going to be changed, I've got to stop deceiving myself and get right down to the truth. And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about acknowledging my problem. I don't know about you, but I have gone to AA, Alcoholic Anonymous Meetings. I've had friends that I've gone to several times with them. And it's interesting, the first time I ever went to one was up in Indiana. And as I was in that room and people started coming in and the, the meeting started, person after person began to stand up and say, my name is so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic, and I do not have the power to change. I thought, 
goodness, this will preach. I do not have the power to change myself. And they said that again and again. I cannot control it. You know, sometimes we think if I let something get bad enough and it gets to the very bottom, then I'll change. Well, let me give you some information from a lot of years of living. Most people, when they get to the bottom, do not change. They do not change. And let me tell you something about getting to the bottom. When you usually get to the bottom, it's too late then for anything to happen. I don't know how many men have come into my offices down through the years as a pastor and walk in and sit down on a desk, uh, across the desk from me in a chair and look at me and be very, very uh, true in what they're saying. They would look at me and say, Preacher, my wife just came in a while ago and told me she's leaving me. What can I do? It took me a while to be brave enough to say, Probably very little at this point. Probably very little at this point. They'd reached the bottom. It was too late. It had waited. They'd waited too long. It had gone too far. The first step to breaking free is to admit the root of my problem. Admit the root of my problem. That's what he's talking about. My life is out of control. John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, now listen, is a slave to sin. Do you understand why you can't break through on your own? Do I understand why I can't break through on all the things of my, that I think I'm big enough and able enough to do? It's because I'm a slave. Slaves don't get free unless somebody sets them free. That's what God's Word says. And we become a slave to sin. And sin's not going to give us up. Only God can break us loose. Whatever I refuse to acknowledge, whatever sin I refuse to acknowledge, enslaves me. And so this morning, I'm asking you to acknowledge it. I'm asking you to to acknowledge it. If I don't admit that it's a problem, it's a bigger problem than I thought it was. Much bigger than I think it is. God, I admit, I have the desire, but I don't have the power. Friend, I want to tell you, if that's where you are, there's hope. There's hope. First of all, acknowledge the root of the problem, and the root is sin. But let me give you a second thing. Write this by that next bullet. Believe that Christ can change me. Believe that Christ can change me. I have to believe he can change me. Earlier, Paul asked the question in Romans 7 verse 24, who will deliver me from this uh, body of death? Who's going to deliver me from this? Who can set me free from this prison? Here's the answer in Philip's translation, verses 24 and 25 of Romans 7. It is an agonizing situation. And who on earth can set me free from the clutches of my own sinful nature? But oh, thank God he didn't stop there. This was the next sentence that was added. I thank God there is a way out through Jesus Christ. Now get this, our Lord. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. He doesn't stop with through Jesus Christ because it don't work just through Jesus Christ. It only works when Jesus Christ is our Lord. When he's in charge, the answer to all this is a person. God has the power I'm lacking. I don't have that power to change me. I've tried and tried and it didn't work. He has all the power in the world. He's the only one that can change me. Some time ago, I read the testimony of a Chinese who came to the States to give his testimony. I copied this down. I don't want you to listen to it. It blesses my heart every time I read it again. He said, I had walked down the road of life and I had fallen into a great ditch of sin. Mohammed came along and he said, you're not really in that ditch of sin. You just think you are. Buddha came along and said, there are seven steps by which you can get out of the ditch. Climb and you will get out. And I tried, but I could not get out. And then Confucius came along and he said, there are 10 steps to self-attainment. And if you go through those 10 steps and you get them, then you can get out of that ditch. But he said, I still couldn't get out. And then he said, then one day, now listen carefully, Jesus Christ came by and he saw my condition. Without a word of advice, he stripped himself of his regal robes He got down into the ditch and he lifted me up. He lifted me up. Thank God what I could not do for myself, Christ did for me. That's what we're talking about. That's the good news, folks. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Listen to it. For the new spiritual principle of life in Jesus Christ lifts me out of the old vicious circle of sin. He's the one that does it. There is a way out. He lifts me out. It's more than turning over a new leaf. I need a birth from above. I need to be changed completely with a birth from above. And God does that. God wants to give you that power, to give me that power, a new life. Under number two, back there earlier, we talked about John eight thirty two, which says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But there's more to that verse, more to that line of thought and that truth, and it's found in John fourteen six. You've probably heard it at funerals. Jesus said, I am the truth. I'm the truth. Listen, truth is not a consensus of what the majority of people are doing in this nation or anywhere in the world. Truth is not what I think is truth and I've already settled on it and I feel comfortable with it. That's not truth. Truth is not a thing. Truth is not an abstract. Truth is a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. And when I have that truth, I begin to change. That's what he's saying. I begin to change. Not that I can find truth. He don't even tell me, Kent, oh, there's where truth is. He just says, Kent, I'm the truth. When you get me, you have what you need. This brings us to the last bullet. 
We've talked about acknowledging that we have a problem and believing that Christ can change me, that he really has the power to change me. But I want you to look at the last one and write this in. Surrender. Surrender all I am to Christ. Surrender all I am to Christ. Now, this is foundational. This is a have to. This is a must. This is where I have to begin. Surrendering all I am to Jesus Christ. Romans 7, 24 and 27 said, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then verse 25 says, Thanks be to God through Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There it is again. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. The good, the bad, the ugly, the anger, the attitudes, the lust, all of that. God says, I can take that away. Kent, give me a good reason why I ought to do that. I'm going to give you a reason right now. You've tried everything else and it didn't work. We've tried everything else and it doesn't work at all. I want you to read something. Listen to it carefully. Come out of a women's magazine I read in an airport some time ago. They were asking in an article, when everything's out of control in your life, what do you do? And so this this title of this magazine, as I was looking at it, caught my attention because it said when everything's are out of, when things are out of control in your life, they're going to give you ten ways, and he said they're fun and they work. So I wanted to know what those were, and I'm not going to share all of them with you. I'm going to share some of them with you. But here's what happens when things are out of control in my life. Here's what some people who wrote into the magazine they they gave them some things. Barbara said, "I head home for lunch and turn on the TV to Days of Our Lives." I'll let you think about that one for a while. Jen said, when life gets out of control for me, I check out mentally by pretending I'm on a desert island. Kathy said, I cure my depression and I cure things that are out of control in my life. When I'm down in the dumps, she said, I head for the nearest uh, salami and rye. And I eat. Kathy said, I cure all of that when things are out of control in my life by shopping. I bet if she had a family, they really liked that. And there's several others. I'm not going to read them all. But then the magazine had some things. It said, reread the first love story that you ever read. Then it said, take a weekend off by yourself when everything's out of control. But I saved the best to last. This is the honest truth. I want you to listen to it. Here's what the last thing was. When things are out of control in your life, it said, get rid of all your old underwear. I'm telling you the truth. Get rid of all your old underwear. Listen. That's probably the best the world can offer. Here I am, I'm losing my marriage, and they're telling me to get rid of my old underwear. I've lost my job. Nothing is under control in my life. Get rid of your old underwear. I may even be considering taking my own life. It's so bad. And somebody's telling me, get rid of all your old underwear. 
Friend, that's all the world really has to offer. That's the best they have to offer. That's the very best of it. Goodness. I want to tell you, without stammer or stutter or apology, I want to tell you Jesus Christ is the only person that can change your life and change my life. I don't back off of that one minute, folks. I want to tell you nothing else will ever work but that. Millions down through history can prove it by their own life. He changes lives. He'll change your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's how much he changes and how he changes our life. That's real change. When you plug into that, you have power and victory over those things. A few Easter's ago, as you know, most of the time, magazines, Time Magazine being one of them, they start pontificating on Christ about Easter time. And it's something. You read those, you wonder, where are these people coming from? But they were going to give out their theology of what Easter was all about and all about Jesus Christ. And so they wrote that down. But the next week, in that magazine, there was some letters written. One caught my attention. There it was. It was from Mike Mandel in Toronto, Canada. And I want you to listen to it. I'm going to read it just like he wrote it. As far as I'm concerned, the liberal theologians can keep their historical Jesus and their cut-and-paste Bible. I am a former alcoholic and adulterer set free by the power of living Christ Jesus who cares about higher criticism when the resurrection Son of God, resurrected Son of God, can transform you here and now. I just jumped up when I saw that and said, Amen, brother. I praise God for that answer. I love that. Kent, that's fanatical. When you talk about just giving your life over to Christ, that frightens me. Just turning control over to Him. I want to tell you what, friend, when He saves you, He don't make you crazy. He don't make you crazy. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God gave us the Spirit, not of fear, but of power and love. And, now listen, Self-control. Self-control. A sound mind. That's the power to change. Let me close with some life application. If you're tired of trying to force yourself to get everything back under control in your life, I just want you to know you're never going to be able to do it by yourself. Never at all. But when you trust and you acknowledge sin and you release it to the Lord Jesus Christ I want to tell you it will amaze you what he can do in your life 2 Corinthians 3 17 now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there's freedom I want to tell you not choked down with all the things that leave you with all the guilt and all the pain and all the trying, and all the failure. He gives you real power, real joy. You have the choice. You can acknowledge your problem, 
You can ask the Lord Jesus Christ to begin to work in your life. Or you can say, I'm going to keep trying to do this. And let me tell you about both those answers. You'll live with the results of both the answers of those, whichever one you choose. Results are frustrating or they're freedom. Which do you want? I don't believe you're here by accident this morning. I don't believe that at all. You matter to God. God's brought you to this place because this is where he wants you to be. That's what he's telling us. Acknowledge the root of your problem. Believe that Christ can change your life and surrender who you are, all of you, to Christ as Lord. Let me tell you something, friend. When we talk about repentance, I don't think most Baptists know very much about it. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Metanoia is an interesting word. It encompasses a whole bunch of things. But let me tell you some of those things. When there's real repentance, there is going to be change. Now, it will be preceded by tears many times. It will be preceded by the pain of knowing where I am and I don't want to be here anymore. It will be preceded by confessing, yes, this is what I'm dealing with. But let me tell you the real heart of metanoia, the real heart of repentance is change. Change. My whole life has changed. All of it has changed. Goodness. God says he wants to do that to you and in your life this morning. I don't know most of you. But I just want to say, if you're here this morning without Jesus Christ as your Lord, He wants to change your life. Would you let Him do that? Let me share something for those of us who have been saved and we still struggle with things in our life. Maybe you can identify with that. Same thing that we tell those who are not believers. The truth will set you free. And Jesus says, I am the truth. But there's a little passage in James that it took me some years. It was some years ago before I finally realized, here's why we as God's children are not living like God's children all the time as we should. James 1.22. Listen to what it says. All these are from James. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. you understand that? Be heeding the word instead of hearing the word. Most of us hear it in here and out here, but we don't heed it. Oh, there's a great difference between hearing and heeding. Let me give you a second thing that James says in verse one cha- verse chapter one verse four, but let patience have its perfect work. Are you experiencing, personally experiencing the word of God in your life, or do you just read over it? Are you experiencing it? Let me give you the third thing. James one five. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. 
Do you ever ask God for help in these times? Ask God for the wisdom that you need for the event, for the situation in your life? But here's the last one. You can really identify with it. James 1, 23 and 25. He begins off by saying, like a man looking into the mirror. You remember that? This morning, I believe I could probably say that every one of us looked in a mirror. And if you'd been in my house and looked in my mirror, you'd thought, man, that's a mess. I imagine the same thing happened in your mirror. But when you looked in the mirror, you began to realize that there had to be some rebuilding and some refreshing so that you could come and be with these people this morning. And thank God you did. You began to put this together. And you begin to do what you saw in the mirror. What God is saying in James is, many times we walk up to the mirror, the mirror of God's Word, and we see what it says, and we look at what it says, and we read it, and we think, oh my goodness. But we walk off without doing anything about it in our lives. And then we wonder, why am I like I am? Friend, that's the answer. Well, Kent, my life is such a mess, I don't know. And you don't know how old I am, and you don't know all that's been going on, and I just don't know if there's any chance. I read something just a few days ago in the New York Times. It's written by Peter Wimner. I've never heard of this guy, but he is a political thinker in a think tank up in Washington, D.C., He's a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Center in D.C. And he wrote an article to the Times, New York Times, and I just copied copied part of it. But he said, after great pain, where is God? Listen to what he says. At any particular moment in time, I may not have a clue as to what that precise purpose is. But I believe as a matter of faith, that the story has an author whose, those, the story has an author. Those difficult, destructive chapters need not be defining chapters. Are you listening? And that even the broken area of our lives can be redeemed. We are a part of an unfolding drama with a purpose. Do you believe that? I believe that. I don't care where you are today. I believe that it doesn't have to define how you're going to be. I believe that if you ask God to forgive you and you repent, turning to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, He will save you. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that will happen in your life as well. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to have an invitation. And I just want to ask you this morning, in this place, would you just be open to whatever God wants to do in your life this morning? Would you do that? Don't worry about the guy beside you or one in front of you. Would you be willing this morning just to do business with God right where you're standing?
For some, it may be, God, I've never asked you to be the Lord of my life. I don't even understand what all that, that's all about. But I do believe you can change me. And by faith, I'm asking you to do that. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. He wants to give that to you. You may want to come publicly and say something to me. You may want to come and pray. But for just a moment of invitation, would you be willing to say yes to God right now in this place? Maybe God wants you to say it public. Would you be willing to do that? Whatever God's dealing with you about, would you do that right now? Whatever He's telling you to do. Only by the grace and the power of God in your life and in my life can a difference be made. Would you be willing to do that this morning? Just right where you are. Ken, I don't understand any of this. Would you give us the privilege one-on-one to share with you what God wants to do in your life? other things I haven't even talked about that God's dealing with you about. Friend, don't be ashamed. Be desirous of getting in on that. Would you? Before this invitation closes, friend, don't let this day go by without doing what God's placed in your heart to do. In a moment, we're going to receive our offering. If you're a guest, please put that card in there and no offering because you're our guest. Let me share something with you that happened just recently. My wife and I traveled last week and as you see and you know as well as I do, I watched a crew putting down blacktop. Even saw them Sunday night putting it down and on some roads. And I began to wonder, as I saw that asphalt being put down, I began to wonder, is there something about the streets of gold that I've never gotten a hold of in Revelation? Now, asphalt is great to have, but it's not good for a whole lot. It's stinky and sticky, mess, messing if you ever get on it, you know. It's only good for roads and parking lots. We don't put a whole lot of value on asphalt, do we? It's just pretty common stuff, smelly and messy. Not good for a whole lot. But according to the book of Revelation, God don't have a high opinion of gold. He puts it down where we can walk on it. You ever thought about that? Just what's under your feet. We put a lot of stake 
on gold, don't we? It's pretty important to us. But she, see, God doesn't look at it like we do. I want you to understand that God is not concerned about what you have near as much as he's concerned about how you're using it. How you're using it. Child of God, if you've never got in on the blessing of tithing, giving one-tenth of your income to the Lord, I don't have words to describe what you're missing. I don't have those words. So I pray you'll get in on what God wants to give you. As they come to receive the offering and someone comes to give us some announcements.